Well, um, gosh, it's such a privilege and pleasure to be with you here this morning, here on uh, Ghana Yata, Ghana land. So we want to acknowledge these as the traditional lands of the Ghana people and pay our uh, respects to them as stewards of our Creator God, um, and pay our respects to um, any uh, to their elders, past and present, and uh, any who are among us today. Well, so we're continuing on in this. Uh, uh, wisdom series that we've been talking about, um, talking about the Bible's invitation to consider the world around us. And uh, Melinda did such a great job of introducing that to us last week. And I do encourage you to go and have a listen to that because it kind of sets up the framework for how we are approaching this. That the Bible's wisdom literature does give us um, this invitation to consider the world and that as we read in Proverbs and the rest of the wisdom literature, um, uh, the Bible writers doing that, that we are also invited to think about it in our world too. And so today, we're kicking off with Consider the Mamas. And uh, the first thing we need to do is kind of define our terms, talk about what we um, mean when we say mama, because we're using it in kind of a Tanzanian way. Um, now, as uh, Elliot said, most of the time I'm living in Tanzania, in East Africa, and uh, part of what I'm hoping to do today is to marry some of uh, what we learn there um, as we look at the Bible here. Uh, and so in uh, Tanzania, mama is a very common word. Uh, it's a word that you use for your own mother and that people use to talk about the mother of a child. So in Tanzania, most of the time, I am Mama Ellie um, because Ellie being my oldest child, and so that's how I am identified. Um, but uh, it's not only used for uh, women who have children, it's more of a title that gets used in other ways. So Tanzanians love titles, right? Um, and they get kind of nervous if you don't have a title, they're not sure how to talk to you. So um, say people will call themselves like Engineer Emmanuel Mwali on their like Facebook um, like profile. And like to us that comes across as like a little bit pretentious. Uh, uh, because we're like, no, no, don't, don't ever call me by my, uh, by, by my title. But Tanzanians have got a real thing about respect, and they get really nervous if you don't have a have a title. Um, and uh, and mama is this default title for women, and partly that comes out of an assumption that just all women will have children in their lives. Um, but uh, it's not that's not the only way it's um, it's applied because um, it comes out of this idea of the role of a mama and how a mama is perceived. That is, that she's someone who provides for others, she cares for others, she's wise and strong and kind. And so it can be applied to women who don't have children as well, um, because they're sort of filling that role. So um, in TAFES, the organisation that we work for on Tanzania's universities, there's an elected office along with like, you know, president and treasurer and those kind of things. One of the elected officers is mama. And, uh, and the, the, that mama's job is to care for the students who are in, who are in the dorm. So that's like a 20-year-old uni student, right? So she's not being called mama because she has herself had children, uh, but because she's wise and respected and she's in this, this caring role. So when we're talking about mamas, we're talking about women generally, um, rather than uh, a particular marital status or, you know, childbirth experience or whatever. And I think that's important because I know that today um, there are some women here who have not um, uh, given birth and for whom that is a source of pain in some way. And so I want to say 
right up as we come to talking about this, we're looking at the mamas, that when we're talking about mamas, we are not excluding you, that we see you and we value you and we call you mama because we see your wisdom and care and, um, and provision of others. And wasn't it just so moving to hear about um, Rena, Emily's spiritual mother? And in Tanzania, we would call Rena Mama Emily. Um, and and <laughs> um, just, I mean, I, I felt like I had to go and collect myself before the sermon because it was so beautiful hearing about um, these women and how God has used them in one another's lives to, to bring them to Jesus. So, uh, yeah, so as we come to considering uh, the mamas, uh, we walk in the footsteps of uh, the teacher in Proverbs. So we just heard the wife, uh, the Proverbs 31 read out about the wife of noble character, and that's often used to talk about her as the ultimate woman or the ultimate wife. But actually, the whole of Proverbs, you could say, is kind of like this extended uh, meditation considering the mamas. So we heard that bit from chapter 9, read out about the two invitations and um, these, these characters who run through Proverbs, Lady Wisdom and Dame Folly, as, as we call them. And um, you have Dame, Lady Wisdom, who is everything that is good and right and just and pure, and she represents wisdom. And then you have this, this other female character, Dame Folly, who at first ap seems appealing, but actually, once you get down to it, is kind of rotten. Um, and it's not just in chapter 9 and, and chapter 31. All the way through Proverbs, there are these invitations of um, come, come with wisdom, join yourself to wisdom uh, and, and reject uh, folly. And often this is in the language of marriage. Sometimes it's in the language of sexual union with um, one or the other. But it's not, it's not set up there to tell blokes how to find the right wife. It's actually there to tell all of us to join our lives to wisdom and to be able to discern correctly what is wisdom and what is folly. So by the time we get to Proverbs 31, we understand that this is not um, so much about looking for the right wife, but about the kind of person you ought to be. The Proverbs 31 woman is Lady Wisdom writ large in that culture. She's who we ought to be like, whether we are women or whether we are men. This, this woman, Lady Wisdom, here is life, here is a model of wisdom, and don't we all want wisdom? And so the call of Proverbs is to join our life to her, to hear her call and to follow her on the path to wisdom. So as we come today to consider the mamas, we are walking in the footsteps of the teacher in Proverbs, and the world of womanhood and femininity is rich for biblical reflection and the getting of wisdom. Um, now, at first, I think, for some of us, talking about mamas can feel unusual in church um, because we're used to thinking about God as our father and reflecting on that. Uh, and um, God as father is the primary way that God reveals himself to us in the scriptures. After all, we pray to our Father in heaven because he is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but nevertheless, the Bible is not shy about using feminine uh, imagery to describe God and to reflect on God's character. Uh, so mother is not the most common way that the Bible speaks about God, 
Um, but it is a way that the biblical writers speak about God. So uh, we'll just rattle off a few. In uh, Hosea 13, God is a mama bear. In uh, Deuteronomy 32, a mama eagle. In uh, Matthew 23, and in the corresponding passage in Luke, um, he's mama hen. Isaiah 52, he's a laboring woman. And then in Isaiah 49, a nursing mother. Um, and this actually, the nursing mother imagery crops up quite a bit in the Bible. Um, so we've got mother, God as breastfeeding mother comes up a few times in the Old Testament. And then you get to the New Testament and there's all this stuff about milk and drinking milk. Um, so in Hebrews and 1 Corinthians, uh, the, the Christians there are chided for uh, still being on milk, having not moved to solid food. But then in uh, 1 Peter, they're urged to drink spiritual milk and to grow up having tasted that the Lord is good. And so these, these sort of breastfeeding images are littered uh, through the Bible. Um, uh, and it's part of what I want to reflect on today. Uh, this, the breastfeeding and um, breastfeeding mamas and what they teach us about God. Um, now, I know that talking about breastfeeding in Australia can be uh, somewhat confronting for some of us. We could unpack um, why that is, but we probably don't have enough time for me to talk about that. Uh, but I want to say a couple of things just by way of introduction about that. First of all, if you are a breastfeeding mother here, and we have a few uh, here with us, um, we want you to feel um, absolutely free to go and um, use the room up the hall to breastfeed your child in um, peace and comfort and um, privacy and quiet, if that is what you would uh, like to do. And we also want to say... Um, but we are family here, and if you want to nourish and comfort your child right here in the church hall with everyone else, please feel absolutely and completely free to do that. Um, and we are not going to coerce you one way or the other. We just want you to feel at home here and welcomed here among us. But speaking of being coerced into doing things, um, so I've been living in Tanzania uh, last seven years. We, uh, I went there with my Elliot was six months old when we went there. And uh, everyone is constantly talking to you about breastfeeding in Tanzania. Um, and not just talking to you, actually, um, making hand and face gestures at you all the time, telling you to feed your baby. Um, Tanzanians feed their baby at the first whimper that a child makes. They're like, get that baby some milk. And, uh, and so, like, I would be in the markets and say, you know, like, we're hot or whatever, and we're, you know, on our way out, and Elliot starts crying, and everyone's like, oi. <laughs> and I'm like, and this is not just women, this is men as well. Or people coming up to me and going like... <laughs> so, that can make you feel uncomfortable. Uh, and there were some things that I had to unlearn there. Uh, in order to learn the lessons that God had in store for me. Um, now, if it's uncomfortable for you to talk about uh, uh, breastfeeding and talk about these images, I just want to invite you this morning to just put aside your discomfort uh, for a moment or perhaps sit in your discomfort uh, for a little bit so that we can consider the breastfeeding mama and how she shows us our God, Father, Son and Spirit. So, um, when Arthur and I went to our first uh, parenting class at the hospital when I was pregnant with Elliot, um, they showed us these six pictures. 
And um, the six pictures went from a child who was like, you know, mildly, you know, a bit annoyed about something, th uh, through to like completely desperate and distressed and screaming their head off. And they said, um, these this is pictures of a child who's like starting to get ready for a feed through to, you know, overdue needs to be fed. And they asked us, how long do you think it takes to go from that? And we're like, I don't know, five minutes, 10 minutes. And they're like, look, guys, it's one minute, if you're lucky, between 30 and 40 seconds, probably. And, um, and they said to us, when your baby is hungry, um, they go from like zero to 100 really quickly. You don't have time to run to the loo or make yourself a nice cup of tea and then sit down. It's like panic stations, let's get this baby fed. And um, I soon discovered that was absolutely true. Like a, a baby who needs to be fed is like this very vivid picture of desire. Our, our um, oldest used to pant when he was when he was like thirsty, hungry, ready for a feed. <sighs> like he had never, ever had food before in his life. And then once he started feeding, he would make these like appreciative noises, like mmm, mmm, like it was the most satisfying thing he had ever had in his life. Um, and the Bible um, has this image of as, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. What about as the baby pants for his mama's milk? Well, as we come to think of God the Father, I want to tell you another story uh, of being in the market in Tanzania. Uh, so I went to buy some tomatoes from my tomato lady, Mama Glory, and uh, she was facing away from me. She had a toddler on her hip, helping someone else, you know, with her tomatoes. And then uh, she turned around to face me, and I realised that she had her breast out. And um, the child was not at the breast, the child was on her hip, on like this hip, and this breast was out. And, uh, and I was, it was just there, you know, for whenever he needed it. <laughs> and um, what struck me about that was not how um, uncovered she was, but how available she was, that um, she, the kid didn't even have to push any clothes aside. Uh, he just had to reach over and take what he wanted. And it struck me how... Um, how complete his confidence was in his mama that she would always provide for him because she was just always there and available um, to him. So consider the breastfeeding mama. Consider the breastfeeding mama. She does not make herself a cup of tea before she attends to her child's needs. She is there for him already. So it is with our God. He is not too busy to attend to your needs. God the Father is like a breastfeeding mama. He does not withhold from his children. Well, in a breastfeeding mama, we see God the Son too. When a mama feeds uh, her child, she is giving of herself uh, to, to him or her. There's a physicality of breastfeeding. Um, there's, I mean, on one hand, there's the exposure of a part of your body that you don't normally have out, um, but there's just exhaustion as well, um, particularly because, you know, in those early days, you're not sleeping either. I say early days, I mean like the first two or three years at least. Um, and, uh, and there's this, like, thirst that comes with breastfeeding um, as well uh, because, like, the fluid is literally being sucked out of you. And so, um, 
You know, breastfeeding can be this wonderful experience of nourishing another human being, but it comes at a significant cost to the body that's doing the nourishing. It's her body fluid that the baby is sucking out, and her body is often being broken, often quite literally. Um, and, uh, you know, like there's, you talk to breastfeeding mothers, and if you talk to them for any length of time, cracked nipples are going to come up. And uh, when I say literally being broken, we mean literally her body is broken for her child. But we know of another whose body was broken to bring healing and life, don't we? I think that breastfeeding actually helps us to think about communion. Because when a, when a breastfeeding mother nourishes her child, she actually gives him or her her own immunity and her own cells. Part of her body is literally given up to her child, given to her child. She is poured out for him or her, just as Jesus was poured out for you and for many. And there's life-giving power in both. And so as we reflect on the life-giving power of the breastfeeding mama, we're pointed to this greater truth of the life-giving power of Jesus, whose body was poured out for us. So, consider the breastfeeding mama. Even her body she gives to her child. God the Son, our King Jesus, is like a breastfeeding mama. He nourishes us with his body. Well, as breastfeeding mamas reflect God the Father and God the Son, so we consider God the Holy Spirit. Um, a breastfeeding mama's body uh, makes milk often without her even thinking about it. Um, it just flows out of her, searching for this little, little mouth to come and take it. And um, actually, if the little mouth doesn't come and take it, you can actually start to feel pretty uncomfortable. You might feel um, sore, or you might find that all of a sudden you're uh, leaking, um, and you're just like, I, just, I, need, I need this milk out of here. Um, and I wonder what would happen if we thought of God as like that, as this mother who just has to give this good thing to his child, or he'll just burst. <laughs> Sometimes breastfeeding is, is a relief, because it decreases the pressure a bit, it means that things don't get chopped up or infected, um, and it's, it's actually good for the mama too. She can't hold it in, it's meant to be shared. She feels this sense of relief. So, consider the breastfeeding mama, the relief she feels as her baby suckles. God the Spirit is like a breastfeeding mama, overflowing with abundance, desperate to pass it on. So we have God the Father, the generous provider, God the Son who gives his body, and God the Spirit who overflows with good things. Father, Son, and Spirit, God the breastfeeding mother. And this is the language of passages like Isaiah 49, where God is described as a nursing mama. And so as we pers uh, pursue wisdom, we ought not to be surprised to find here in female bodies a picture of God. It's a unique picture. It's a biblical one that teaches us to see God's provision, sacrificial love, and abundance. And this abundance of our God is how wisdom teaches us to see the world. Wisdom sees a world 
uh, in the words of Jesus, where the birds of the air have enough, where the lilies of the valley are clothed, where children suckle at the breasts of their mothers, and each part of this abundant world teaches us something about God and about ourselves. Now, at first, this might seem to exclude some of us who have different experiences. So, um, you know, we can talk about the birds, the air having enough, but what about those of us who know deprivation? What about those of us who, who feel abandoned? Or in the case of breastfeeding, we can talk about the breastfeeding mama, but what about those of us who will never be mothers? What about those of us who wanted to breastfeed and were unable to? Um, what about those even of us who, when we talk about mamas and nurturing mothers, that brings up for us pain that we have not felt nurtured by our own mothers? Well, this is, this is an issue that wisdom speaks to as well. See, wisdom is not trying to be comprehensive about the world. It's not trying to say, let's look at the breastfeeding mothers, we should all do this. It's saying, let's just look at here, at this part of the world, and see what God is saying to us. Um, to notice that one thing and reflect on that one thing. So when Jesus says that the birds of the air um, have enough, he's not blind to the problems of the world. Um, he knows the world is, is broken. Remember, Jesus is living you know, in an oppressive regime with foreign powers ruling his people in you know, incredibly unfair and unjust ways. And yet he turns around and says, look, God provides for us. He's not being naive there. The fall means that there will always be difficulties, sadnesses, frustrations, and we're called to live in that world. And yet, wisdom whispers to us, that is not all. There is also beauty and order and rest. And God wants humans to experience his provision, like the provision of a breastfeeding mama. And as we see God providing abundantly, it's meant to remind us that one day that is going to be the case for all of us. We're meant to look at breastfeeding mothers and see one who feeds us and one who can be trusted, a greater one than the breastfeeding mama. And this is how Jesus talked about his father. That's why he can talk about the birds of the air being fed. Not because no sparrow ever falls to the ground, but because he's choosing to live out and speak out something which is still to come. And he's choosing to live like it's already started and to say those things as true things because they are true, because that world is here. And the Spirit helps us to see that world in our current world. And we're meant to remember which one is the true world, the, world, the one to come, the one that is broken in with Jesus, the one that will be completed at his return. And we're meant to see the glimpses of it as we consider the world around us. And so I want to finish this morning by talking about uh, one of those mama glimpses that we see in our world. Remember at the start how I was talking about in Tanzania, mama is like a collective noun and also can be used of sort of uh, in a singular sense of your biological mother, but just of other women as well. So you call your auntie's mama, you call your relatives of unspecified connection uh, mama. You call women leaders in your community mama. You just call randoms you meet if you don't know what their title is. You call them mama. You call lots of people mama. Um, but one particular mama in this group is uh, special. She's called your Shangazi. And your Shangazi is your father's sister. Um, and often uh, the Shangazi is a closer relationship to you than your own mother. 
So she's the one that you go to to talk about things where you might, you might not talk to your mother. And uh, so say when women get married in Tanzania, um, like the week before the ladies go away and they have like a, I don't know, they shut themselves away somewhere to do like, you know, sort of women's business. And um, the women all go and they teach the bride about various things to do with marriage. And um, it's the Shangazi who heads that up, not your mum. So she's, she's kind of the organiser in that sort of big figure for you. And I think we have something kind of like this in Australia, right? We have, we have aunties and like the fun auntie, um, the one who, you know, you're meant to be doing your homework and she takes you on a shopping trip. Or um, the one who, uh, you know, mum said you can't get your ears pierced for another two years, but let's just go get your ears pierced and then ask forgiveness later on. Um, she's the one who, when it's too awkward to talk to your mum, you go and talk to her because she's cool and fun, but also she's wise and you trust what she's got to say. And it's not always, you know, like your um, re related auntie, like it doesn't have to be your father's sister. It might be a youth leader or someone, but, but we have this sense of how important aunties are, don't we? Um, and smart parents will encourage their kids to have a good relationship with their aunties or to put those auntie figures around them. And so there are like memes and lists all over the internet about how great aunties are, um, about how, you know, they have um, all of the fun and none of the rules, all of the cuddles and they hold, you know, hand the baby back when it's time for a nappy change or um, they let the kids stay up late the next night and they don't have to like that, that night, they don't have to deal with the crankiness the next morning or, you know, the sugar rush but not the sugar crash, you know, all those things. And obviously these are light-hearted examples of what aunties do. Um, and I know many aunties are very responsible and abide by the parents' rules. Um, but I think, I think the auntie relationship points us to something really important. That is, it points us to this relationship of play. And because uh, being... Fun is an essential part of being an auntie, right? And we know that play does all kinds of good things uh, to us. It's actually a nurturing force. It, it forms foundations of trust. It teaches us about boundary setting and boundary pushing. It lowers stress levels. It teaches empathy. It develops social skills. It's this great you know, thing that um, really helps us in our lives. And it's often a role that aunties can play that parents can't. Um, or not in the same way. And so when we think about play, I think we can sometimes think about it as frivolous, that we think it belongs to the Dame Folly side of things. But remember that wisdom is not simple. Wisdom is holding things in tension together. And, um, and so it's actually not frivolous because it actually provides this beautiful foundation. This is why kids will often talk to aunties when they can't talk to their parents because it's in that work of play that some of the deepest work and some of the deepest trust stuff uh, gets done. And so in this case, frivolous is not the same as foolish. This is a key lesson to learn in life. We're not meant to be serious all the time. Um, and, and there is wisdom in play and playing. In fact, this is a God-given gift of nurture and care. Um, and, because, uh, and that's because it helps us to think about the world that we will live in one day, when we will live in a world of rest and beauty, where frustration will be no more, and harmony will be our everyday experience. 
So consider the aunties. They're a glimpse into our future. They are little slivers of new creation dancing into our lives with their pillow fights and cupcakes. Let the aunties be honoured for the nurture that they bring and the reminder of our resurrected life to come. And as we consider them, let us follow their example and ask, how do we play? Um, This is such a beautiful part of the life to come, a life that is ours. And so we actually need to make space to live that out now. Do you play? I know it sounds like a bit of a weird thing to ask a grown-up, but do you play? Do you live out the new creation now, sometimes in that way? The other day, Arthur and I went to Bounce, you know, just down here, um, and we went without our kids, and like just the two of us. It was so much fun. I spent all the time cannonballing into the big airbag thing, and um, I just felt so free and unselfconscious, and it was just so enjoyable. And um, I feel like I, f- I feel my responsibilities in life really keenly. And to play like that for a moment was just to lift my sights a little and just to release my heart a little bit. Um, now, we all have different interests and, um, and ability levels, so not all of us are going to play by going to bounce. This is not an ad for bounce, not paying me to say it. Um, uh, so to look differently for you, you've got to think about how you play. But play is something for each of us to live out now. And this is what aunties do so well and what they teach us. So in a minute, I'm going to give us a chance to uh, practice a bit of playing. Uh, But first, why don't we pray together? Our gracious, generous God, help us to seek wisdom and to join our lives to her. We see in a breastfeeding mama your provision, your sacrificial love and your abundant generosity. We see something of the life to come in aunties. And so, Lord, we ask, teach us to play. Amen.